0: Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Cure Insight production, brought to you by CASEL Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma.
1: CASEL Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and
0: personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how CASEL is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit CASELtestinfo.com. It's time to grab your friends and family near and far to walk together towards a cure for ocular melanoma. Each year, roughly 7,000 individuals worldwide are diagnosed with this rare eye cancer. Because it is a rare orphan cancer, this diagnosis often feels lonely and hopeless. We challenge you from all across the world to join us in January 2024 in taking 7,000 steps each day of the month in honor of those patients who will begin to walk the path of ocular melanoma this year as well as all the patients currently living with this rare disease. We believe we are all created for impact and while alone we may not feel we can do much to bring about change, we know that we are so much better together. Walk with us not only to kickstart a healthy new year but also to see progress in ocular melanoma research. As you participate in Steps for Sight, every step you take and every dollar raised will bring us closer to funding critical research needed for a cure. To increase the impact of this worldwide initiative, a cure sight is partnering with the Melanoma Research Alliance in 2024 to maximize the benefits from the funds raised. A cure sight will once again work with MRA to join the issue the grant award and make the announcement in the following calendar year. The money we raised last year will be matched by MRA to fund a two-year research grant for ocular melanoma. See the Steps registration page for more details. This year, with your help, we can fund another actionable research project exclusively for ocular melanoma. We are always better together, so don't wait. Register and start a team for Steps for Sight today. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us on the I Believe podcast. And those of you joining us live, thanks for tuning in and supporting Jennifer and sharing her dad's story. Um, We are so excited to have her with us. And before I introduce her, I'm just going to run through a couple quick housekeeping things. Uh, We do have a 5K happening this weekend on Veterans Day. Uh, That's going to be November 11th in the Santa Monica area. It's not too late to register or to donate to help us fundraise for that specific area. So if you know people who live there, please encourage them to come and show up and walk for ocular melanoma. Uh, They can also run, but you know, walking. Um, The next up 5K that we have, we've got the Scottsdale event that's happening next weekend on November 19th. That's gonna be where I will be, and I will see you guys there. Uh, feel free, again, to share it with friends and family who are in the Arizona area and who would be willing to come in support. Uh, even if you're not from the area, please do you know, encourage your friends and family who live in the area where a walk is happening to come and support us at that walk. Uh, we're fundraising for local research with Dr. Mosier and his team, as well as the General Research Fund for Cure Insight. Um, in December and in January, we also have walks coming up. So just keep a lookout for those on lookingforacure.org. We've got two Texas walks coming up in, uh, December 9th and 10th. That's in the Dallas Fort Worth area and the Houston area with Dr. Harbor and his team. And then in January, we've got Dr. Cohea and her team and the Miami, the Tampa and, uh, the Orlando areas, and they might not, one of those might be happening in March. Actually, I think Miami is March, but um, Tampa and Orlando, I believe, are the ones that are happening in the in the month of January. So keep a lookout for those, register for those, tell your friends and family in those areas, and help us fundraise for the Looking for a Cure uh, Ocular Melanoma Walks that we have coming up. The uh, next little piece of business that I want to tell you guys about is for anyone who does not know, We have a store, oh, and it's crooked. So we have a store with some unique kind of wear and share type of things. We've got eyes of basically all the colors. I think we have green, blue, and like kind of a golden hazel, um, like topaz. But we have eyes in gold and silver. We have these kinds of pins that you can see here. We have car decals, car magnets, so any, any shopping you want to do for the holidays. Um, Jennifer is all decked out for the holidays back there, but any shopping that you want to do for the holidays for your friends and family to just help encourage them to, you know, support and wear and share for ocular melanoma to spread awareness, uh, please grab those gifts from the store, get those orders in soon so that you can get it in time for the holidays, and we also have, you know, fun mugs, we've got blankets, we've got Um, sweatshirts t-shirts like all kinds of different things that could be gifts for loved ones and or that loved ones could get for you as an ocular melanoma patient if you're listening Um, so the um, I think that's all that I have by way of announcements so with that I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest today who was gracious enough to to come on uh, from richmond virginia and this is jennifer Wellborn, and she is daughter of bobby Wellborn, who actually is an ocular melanoma patient who recently passed away um, and she's also the winner of the all american and uh, mrs all american international pageant that took that, that just took place recently right yes, in yes October. just in this year yeah in this last couple of months i guess last month um so we're so excited to have you here um Jennifer, can you just tell us a little more about, you know, tell us about your story and your story with your dad and your family's story there?
1: Sure. So my dad had cataract surgery in June uh, in 2021. And about two weeks later, he started experiencing blurred vision and a little bit of like floaters that would that he would see and It was funny because he told my my stepmom and she said, well, I can only get you an appointment with the doctor that did your surgery and he wouldn't go because he just assumed that it was something that had happened during surgery, you know, some kind of leftover issue. So um, two weeks after that, approximately the top one third of his eye, uh, he said it looked like a black curtain dropped over it. So he knew something was going on with the retina uh, and he ended up seeing the same doctor that had done the surgery. And he said, well, you've definitely got your retina detaching. So I need to send you to a retinal specialist right now. Uh, they're going to need to do emergency surgery. And so they proceeded to go to see this doctor in Fredericksburg. And he walked in and he said, well, I'm not going to be able to do surgery. I see what your ret- what the ophthalmologist was saying, but it, it appears to be a tumor that is pressing against your retina that's causing the detachment. And he told them that he worked with an ocular oncologist in Los Angeles that, and he had seen this before, of course, they went through all the testing to confirm that it was ocular melanoma. And sadly, that's what it ended up being. Um, And we had never heard of it. We didn't even know that it existed. It was, we were, we were shell-shocked and So he went through and, you know, did all the scans, all the testing, and they told us it was just in the eye at that point, and they were going to put the plaque in, which he had about a month and a half after it was diagnosed, um, in November of 2021, and, uh, Pretty uneventful. Didn't really have any issues with that. And when they took it out, of course, he had you know the swelling, and they were doing the injections to help him with some of the blurred vision. But they said that his uh, where they had to place the plaque was right on his optic nerve, so he would go blind, which he never miraculously he never did. He didn't see fantastic, but he he could see, and he was still driving up until the point where he you know got so sick. Um, He went in about, I guess, eight weeks later, they did some tests to see if the tumor was shrinking. It was. So they were feeling pretty good. Sent him in for scans, no evidence of disease. The next scans, no evidence of disease. And this was around, by now we've made it up to September of 22. And he and my my stepmom went out to Vegas for vacation. And he said, you know, they're they're telling me that I'm not okay, but I feel okay. And and I'm just going to go live. And he did that and he had started to have some issues with his leg where they needed to put in a stent. And I guess that CT scan that they did that would, you know, guide the doctor to do the placement of the stent, that particular doctor didn't see a problem, but the oncologist did see a problem. And she called us, this is literally about a two and a half week span from no evidence of disease to, we need you to come in now, not January. And so we knew something was wrong. And when he went in, we got the diagnosis. It had gone to his liver. And in that short time span, it was, they, they, their exact words were they were innumerable. They couldn't even count the tumors that were there. So um, they talked with Dr. Sato in Philly and he suggested Opdivo, your boy, And he, so dad did that Now he was fortunate in that he didn't have a lot of the side effects that many patients on on that combination or one or the other experience. Um, But it didn't help him at all. Um, When he went in, he did four infusions. um, And at the end of that fourth infusion, when they did his scans, they said there's even more tumors now than there was. There's a spot on your femur. You've got three tumors on your spine, one of which was so large, it actually broke his vertebrae in his back. Um, and so they wanted to go ahead and start radiation on that. Um, that still took, believe it or not. And, and most ocular melanoma patients will know um, it, it took months. It was, it was over two months before he got radiation on the spine and it was a solid three months before he got any treatment to the liver at all. So um, it was, it was a horrifying time for all of us. And then, you know, you just, you feel so helpless because you want to do everything that you can to help them. But your hands are kind of tied because you can't, you can't make the doctors see them any sooner. And So I went over the doctor's head and went to the CEO of the University of Virginia and the entire patient advocacy board. And I was like, you know, to you guys, he's patient. To us, he's my dad. He's a husband. He's a grandfather. He's a brother. uh, He's an uncle. So something needs to be done. And miraculously, they got a call the same day that said they were going to go ahead and get him in for mapping with interventional radiology to see if he would be a candidate for Y90, and he was, um, but that took another month to get that started after the mapping process, and his oncologist called him and gave him the news. She said, well, you know, the good news is you are a candidate, and the interventional radiologist thinks that the flow is perfect. It's going to feed right into the tumors. The bad news is I'm not sure you'll live long enough to get it. And that was just how blunt she was. And he did get the first lobe, the right lobe, which was his worst. They did treat that, but he never, he just could never bounce back. He was so sick. He could not eat. He couldn't drink. Um, He would tell us, you know, I feel like I have a brick in my stomach. I just can't eat. And so his last few months he was tough, but it it was, it was hard. He, he really did suffer.
0: Well, Jennifer, I am so sorry for your guys's loss and just, I just have so much empathy and, um, compassion for the fact that he was struggling for so long. Um, and I, I think that's like, I think we talked about this, maybe in a Facebook message at some point, how you just said, this is probably one of the hardest parts is that you get this diagnosis of a metastatic disease and then you're just stuck. You're just stuck waiting. And mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't seem to matter if you have positive outcome from that waiting period or, you know, okay outcome or you tank. Right. It, there is always this waiting period, this waiting phase for a patient who is newly metastatic where you're waiting on a biopsy. You're waiting on tumors to grow and to confirm, yes, we can do a biopsy. Or you're waiting for the treatment itself to be available or just, you know, just for somebody to make a freaking decision on, yes, let's do this. And... Yep. And that can feel really challenging as a patient, and especially as I'm sure as family members, just watching this happen. Um, and so I'm just, I am just so saddened that that was that was the experience that you guys had, and that his um, that his cancer progressed so quickly. And just, I just, I just, I just want to honor you for for sharing his story, but also just for advocating so strongly for him in every way that you could. Um, and for continuing to advocate, I feel like you have left um, you've left a trail of advocacy, like legacy, around his story and just how this cannot keep happening. Um, and I think yeah. that that has been something that I have absolutely gleaned from just watching your posts, seeing you participate in this pageant and talk about your father's story, is that you don't want this to be someone else's story. Um yeah. So I just I admire that. I admire the, the the passion and the drive, but I wish that it had not had to come from such a difficult place. Um, so let's talk a little about um, about your decision to honor your father's legacy and just your participation with this pageant and just some of the fundraising that you've done. How has that helped you in coping, you know, post, uh, I guess post post loss uh, just after after losing him this earlier this year in the summer? So
1: we, we knew, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things is, is I don't know that really everybody in the, especially if they're outside of, of like the oncology units, there's, there's not a lot of empathy right for for these patients there's it's more like you were saying just hurry up and wait um i can remember getting him into the er one day and the doctor's like oh well he he had ocular melanoma and it's in his liver i mean so what do you want us to do Um, we were like well we would like you to get him hydrated and and let's just at least get him he's like well you know this is not going to end well and we said we are acutely aware of how this is going to end barring a miracle of god but we want him to not suffer so i i think that for me just the coldness sometimes that we experience the lack of empathy the the lack of compassion um i mean there i've got some horror stories the things that that he went through um and so i think for me it was just he had told me early on he said i have signed papers I know that it's going to not likely do anything to help me because it's, we're not, we're not far enough along in research. And he said, so, but I've signed them because maybe down the road, my experience will help somebody else. And so I told him, I said, dad, I prom- I promise you when you cannot fight anymore, I will fight for you. I I'll be your voice. I, I will be a voice for, for all of the Omies and and I will advocate for this cause for the rest of my life. It, it's not a it's not a short-term thing for me. I my heart for these people that have to go through this and their families is is just huge. Um, and I this you know this Danette, this, this group uh, the groups with the that are experiencing ocular melt they're amazing. Like we, we've never most of us have never met each other, but we really do connect and we feel like family and we really, truly, I think we're the only ones on earth that really understand each other, right? You know? No, for sure. Because a lot of people don't get it. They just don't. So the pageant, um, everybody, you know, you have a platform. And so this is mine. And I'm going to use my title to make other people aware that this first this disease exists. Because we didn't know that it did. And to push for annual eye screenings, you know, we we go get checkups mammograms, you know, every other, every other part of our body, you know, they, they need to have checks on. Well, we need to take our eyes just as seriously. And so, uh, that'll be a big part of my program. And, um, I did for the pageant when I did talent. I actually wrote a poem for dad. And it was so touching for me because it really was a way for me to open up and let some of my own grief out. But when I shared that in the Ocular Melanoma Mets group on Facebook. I had a few patients that asked if I would share their words, which of course I was honored to do. So at the end of my poem, I had direct quotes from, from a handful of patients and I read them at the pageant and, and I can't tell you people were coming up to me after and they were saying, I didn't even know this was a thing, had no idea. So that's how I plan to use my year. Um, as all American International, and and go around and advocate, make sure people know that it exists, and be there for people that are going through it. You know, you're not alone. Um, I I will help anybody any way that I can, and I've I've made myself available for, you know, phone calls, text messages, Facebook messages, whatever they need.
0: Well, Jennifer, I think that's such a powerful, um, a powerful way to use. To use this, you know, difficult. I mean, horrific thing that has happened to your family, and to move that, you know, kind of move the needle forward, and to say, okay, we don't want this to happen to anyone else. We we want the story to look different. We want, you know, like you said, you want your dad's willingness to make a difference, to to sign those papers, and to say, you know, it might not help me, but maybe the information will help someone else. Um, we like. I just I admire. I admire the fact that you you have taken this level of just a difficult circumstance and turned it into something that you are just so driven and passionate for. And, um, and we're just so grateful to you as a community. And from, from the Acure Site standpoint, we're so thankful for the advocacy that you are are doing for the fundraising that you're doing and just for the way that you are just loud in telling the world about ocular melanoma and just unapologetically sharing um, that this is real, that it does affect real people and And here's some of the people that you should you should hear from, you know, your dad, these other patients and all of the rest of the OMIs that you've that you've referenced. Uh, I just think it's such a it's such a powerful way to use that platform. So thank you.
1: Thank you. It it is. It's a it's an honor to be able to do that and to just be able to be there. Um, I, I think sometimes this journey can it can be lonely, you know, even, even surrounded by family. Um, I can remember dad early on told me, he said, I, I'm, not a, I'm not afraid to die. Uh, he said, and I don't ask God to, to heal me. I just ask him for the strength to get up every day and be strong for my family. And he, he did that. Even as sick as he was, he, he did that. He was, my brother, uh, Tommy, would help him get from his bed to his back deck you know, up until the day before he passed, he just, he just wasn't quitting and he wasn't going to lay down for it. And that seems to reverberate through so many patients that are, you know, going through this right now. They just, they don't quit, you know, but like you had mentioned earlier, there's just so much that we don't know. You know, there's all the information about the, the trials. I see that. I read that every day in the forums and the different groups about, you know, what, what do you guys recommend? Um, What's available to me? And, you know, it's, it's sad that that information is not out there because there's, there's a lot of different things going on and not everybody's going to respond the same way to every treatment. So the more that we have, the better.
0: No, exactly. And will and that, that level. We talked a little about this before we started recording, but that level of almost disconnect, right, between sometimes the patient and their families, just sometimes not even knowing the full extent of what is available. Um, and that is something that, you know, here at A Cure Insight, we are striving to remedy that as much as we can by, you know, sharing information on the podcast and having physicians, having chief medical officers from various different bio companies come on and talk about what's going on. So that, you know, even if you don't hear it from your doctor, you will hear it from us. And we will make right. sure that if we have access to that information, that we will share it with you. We'll share it via email. We'll share it on social media. And if possible, we'll get them on the podcasts so that you can hear like firsthand what's going on. What do they have? What do they have to offer? And right, um, I just I hope that we can continue, you know, this trend of being able to. Really just make the information accessible, right? Make it so that there's not yeah. that added layer of, uh, of a barrier between patients and getting care. That it's not sit around and wait because you don't know what to do. Maybe it's sit and wait because you're deciding what to do. And there's right. options enough in front of you that you actually do have to sit and make a decision. And that it's not just kind of throwing, you know, wet noodles at a wall and hoping they're going to stick. Um and, and I do like, I mean, I do have a lot of hope just from interviewing some of these different medical doctors and these researchers. Like I do have hope, uh, you know, as a patient myself, and I have kind of a unique, a unique perspective on that. And sometimes I can't always, you know, I can't always publicly share that. Um, but just, I hope that you guys can take away, you know, from, from this episode, from any of the episodes that we ever do that, like there really is hope and more than anything, we want patients to walk away from these kinds of you know these kinds of episodes these kinds of story shares, the information that we give like we want that to help foster a community of hope and of belief in the fact that there there is work being done and that the work will impact us um even if we can't see exactly how or when, um so let's let's kind of shift gears a little bit like what are you you know having experienced this for the last roughly two plus years of your family's life and just seeing your, go- your dad go through this um, and just kind of having a, a little bit of a, a more unique inside look, I think, on the medical system because you were such a strong advocate for him. What do you hope to see change in the future of ocular melanoma? Um, I know you mentioned eye exams, but you know maybe aside from that initial pre-screening, what do you hope will change?
1: Well, I hope that uh, a lot of these pharmaceutical companies will get out and, and like you and I were discussing earlier, get this information to the public, get these, com- you know, we see commercials on television for breast cancer treatments, you know, for example, a hundred different times a day on all of these different channels, but there's never, and I, I really honestly cannot tell you I've ever seen one that will specifically say ocular melanoma, yet we know that it exists, right? So I think educating people that it exists is huge. They need to be aware but then when you, when you do face a diagnosis like that, you know, you can turn your TV on and you're going to see, hey, there is hope. There's, there's, this, there's this treatment. There's this treatment. So as you were saying, you know, we've got, you know, several different options. Which one do we want to go with? And so I think that's very important because if we can't get the pharmaceutical companies on board, you know, and then I, I can tell you in dad's case. His Opdevo now he did have good insurance thank God but his Obdivo your boy treatments 86 thousand dollars and then his out-of pocket was five thousand per treatment so the fact that when you have you're diagnosed with this disease that so many people have to internalize well do, can I afford this you know dad would tell us I'm not going to die and leave my family millions and millions of dollars in debt. So I think that somewhere we have to bridge the gap there, right? Don't make these patients choose between living or being able to take a treatment. We need they need to have access to these treatments without worrying if if they can afford it. I just think that's that's horrific. That is the diagnosis is
0: it is that, that concept that's, of can i afford to have cancer that's a it's a very yes. common thing for patients you know i think it's a common thing for any patient but it's especially very common for like a younger adult patient someone who's under the age of 40 or 50 when they're diagnosed and they are they're now experiencing metastatic spread and they're like, well, can I even afford to, to travel to go get treatment? Can I afford the treatment to begin with? Um, so I love, I love that you brought that up because that is, that is a barrier and that's a barrier that really is a needless barrier to care. Absolutely, absolutely. You know,
1: um, I've had several people that I've talked to, you know, Germany is, is about a 50% cure rate on whatever the cancer is. Why don't we have that in the United States? Why don't we have more people here that are willing to get this information out, that are willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that that is accessible to every single patient. That is infuriating to me. I, I mean, I go sideways over stuff like that. Um, I just think it's horrific. And I don't know how anybody, whether it's the doctor, the insurance company, nobody has a right to tell these patients, you can't live because you can't pay. That's, that is insane
0: yeah and well, that's I mean it it's that and then like just the layers of just some of the difficulties that you guys experienced, right in finding a treatment and then in finding out, okay, well, does insurance cover it like just there's there's so yeah. many layers to figuring it out that really make it much harder than than it, it than it feels like it should be, right um, there's right. there's so much kind of red tape around the idea of even getting treated for cancer. Um, so, I, I love that vision. I think that that, I mean, I, I share that and I, I admire the way that you've talked about that. And I can see that you're, you're unwilling to back down from advocating heavily yeah. for that, um, advocating for that access to care, because that access is, it's huge. Um, and having access to care, instead of having to constantly fight for that access to begin with, That's right. makes a huge difference for the patient, for the families who are dealing with this, uh, because yeah. if they know that there's access, then then there is a much more hopeful feel around their diagnosis, right? Um, right. And the, the the your mentality is so
1: important. Saying, you know, keeping my my stepdad's chief radiation um, oncology tech. So we knew going, when Dad was diagnosed how important mm-hmm. it was to keep the mindset different. and. You know, and and stay positive, and so we and Dad really did. He really did that. Um, but you know, a lot of patients. You can imagine how hard that is if you get this diagnosis and then you can't afford treatment or no treatment is available to you, or you know, oh, there's nothing we can do. You just go. You just have to go wait to die. I mean, how how horrific is that? And I think um, like here, I can tell you for me, I have and I'm waiting to. To hear back from them, and I'm putting them on notice. I expect to hear back from my governor and my lieutenant governor because I've sent letters to them um, about getting this in Virginia. I want this handled. I want it all over the country, uh, but it's got to start in my state for me. So I feel like it's a stepping stone. But if you know what seems impossible for one person, if everybody will get involved and everybody will take a step, we can make we can make huge strides in this, and we can make sure that patients have what they need.
0: Oh, I, I think that's such a powerful perspective to, to hold and to own that idea, and, and I've been, you know, drumming this for the better part of the two or three, almost three years, I guess, that I've been working with The Cure Inside, is this idea that one person trying to fundraise, one person doing a social media fundraiser or hosting a local fundraiser, participating in a walk, telling someone else about eye exams... There's a ripple effect that happens and to just believe that just because you're one person, one of those six in a million or the family member of one of those six in a million who get diagnosed with a super rare cancer does not mean that you don't have the ability to make an impact, to make strides. The reason we have some of the treatments that we do have is because of those people who are unwilling to say, oh, I'm just one person. This is just for maybe, you know, a few thousand people in the world. That's just not big enough. That's not big enough for me to to feel like it's worth making the difference in. And so I think just rejecting that idea that that you're too small or that you're too insignificant and just really going after and figuring it out as you as you go, that's what you've done. Is you've just like actively figured this out and learned to advocate, learned to to get in front of the like the litigation and the legislation, like all of that. Um like you are you are kind of you have a unique perspective too in this in this space where you know like this is this is the steps right this is the steps to make sure the law knows about it to make sure governors know about it so that they can be fighting in washington they can be part of part of the team right and and it really just kind of comes down to this overarching theme that we're going to be adopting for next year hint hint is this idea that we are better together like we don't need to compete with you know with other physicians we don't need doctors competing with each other we don't need pharmaceutical companies competing with each other we need collaboration we need People working together, people coming together to talk about this and to spread the news, to advocate for research, you know, all of the pieces. There's so many pieces of the puzzle and all of them come together because we are all unique and fit into the puzzle. That's right. Okay, well, I want to I want to end this is I feel like we could continue talking about this for a while. But I do want to let you end with the beautiful poem that you wrote for your dad. Um, And, and feel free if you want to also add uh, any of the messages that were shared, you know, in addition to the poem, if you would like, but I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you to read that poem, if you don't mind. Okay, let me pull that up.
1: Okay. It's called The Promise. It's been just over two years since the diagnosis came. I remember your voice when you called out my name. You told me the news and despair filled my soul, but you said, be strong, for God is in control. The results were all in, and the doctors were sure it was ocular melanoma, for which there is no cure. There were tests to be done and therapies to try. All the doctors and surgeons could not tell us why. As the days turned to weeks and the weeks into years, I watched you grow weaker, yet you never showed fear. I prayed and I prayed for God's healing touch. We wanted you here, for we love you so much. I said, Dad, sorry. You can't go, because we need you here. To which you replied, Jen, I don't have any fear. I never ask God to heal me or take the cancer away. I just pray for his strength to help me through every day. We may not understand it nor ever know why, but Jesus called you home on the 7th of July. Our hearts have been broken and our tears overflow, but we'll see you one day up in heaven, I know. I promised to fight when you could fight no more. I won't give up. Of that you can be sure. It won't always be easy, but I won't be alone, for you promised to be with me, even after you were gone. Dad, I'm keeping my promise, and I hope that you see I'm helping other Omis who also need me. I will be their voice, and I will share their words to all who will listen and choose to be heard. My all-American sisters and the staff just alike will be right alongside me as I carry on this fight, So to all of my OMI friends, both near and far, I am fighting for you, wherever you are. And then some of the quotes, they're direct quotes from current ocular melanoma patients and what they wanted us to know. Adrian, I look good. That's what I always hear. But what you can't see is my overwhelming fear. Cindy, we live in a monocular world that is difficult to get used to. It's like there's something wrong with my sense of touch and depth perception, but I just can't seem to put my finger on it. The things that we sometimes take for granted, like pouring a drink or using a screwdriver, are tough. Also, the anxiety is real. You're always relieved and excited when the scans come back stable, but always remain ready to put the body armor back on to fight again. Mary, the world needs more people that are willing to stand up and fight. Jean, This rare disease feels lonely because so few understand it. Heather, we are always thinking about depth perception, metastasis, our monocular vision and scanxiety. Some of us in certain treatment protocols like Chemtrek have weekly infusions. People ask me how long I have to take these treatments. And the answer is forever or until they don't work anymore. Joan. We all need you. We need every angel. One way that I look at this disease is even though I lost the vision in my eye, I see my life more clearly now. With all the pain that Omi's go through, especially when it metastasizes, trying to remain positive helps me get through it. We have bonded with great love and care. Diane, I don't believe the public is aware how this cancer metastasizes. Yes, it starts in the eye, the very vascular eye, and even before it's treated in our eyes, it is often migrated into the bloodstream, where it loves traveling mostly to our livers. So even with eye treatment, it is often already planted cancer cells in our livers. A rare, aggressive cancer in the liver has few options for treatment. Together, we can raise awareness of ocular melanoma and do our part to ensure that those battling this disease are not fighting alone.
0: Jennifer, that was beautiful, um, and and I feel like it was like you said that um, it it added just something something unique to you know to have have the poem that you wrote, but then on the tail of that, these words from from live patients today who are dealing with this, um, yeah. from actual I feel like quoting Frozen from actual real life people, um, but but just this idea that you know like you said, this is, this is affecting more than just the one person. And that those, all of those people matter and their perspectives matter. And I love that you are providing a space and a a platform that you have built this and are hell bent on just making sure that you use this platform um, that you have, like you said, for the year to just advocate and to make their voices heard. Uh, I think I think I could speak for all of the ocular melanoma patients and their families listening that we thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for everything that you are doing, for the emotional tax that it is to do what you do, because to be this heavily involved, it, it does take a toll. Um, and so, you know, we just, I just, I, I honor you and admire you for being willing to step up to the plate um, and to just be a part of a part of this mission with us. So thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Um is there anything else that you want to say as we end? Um, just I appreciate you bringing me
1: on, letting me share my dad's story and my family's journey on with this disease. Um, and just everybody, you can reach out to me anytime. I'm fighting for you. Doesn't matter whether you're here in the United States or anywhere in the world. I'm fighting for you. I'll be your voice, and I will advocate for the for a cure.
0: Well, with that, we will see you guys next time. So thank you so much for listening. Make sure to listen to this and share it with another OMI, share it with some of other family members. Um, check out the show notes. We'll link uh, any of the social profiles or any pertinent information that you would need to get in touch with Jen and uh, be a part of this mission with her. Um, but we're so grateful to you, and we will see you guys next time. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.